Welcome to the Tell Janice Radio Show, where you will hear inspiring stories about life, love, and labor from amazing women to help lift you up. Now, here's your host, Janice. Thanks very much, and welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're listening, and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot from our guest today. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you that if you know of a fabulous female that you would like me to give a shout-out to with a few words of encouragement, acknowledgement, or congratulations, please let me know their names by clicking on the link at telljanice.com. My first guest today is Susan Karcher. She's an author and speaker locally here out of Fullerton, California. Susan is an award-winning author of an amazing um, new book uh, on Amazon, number one new release title, Who Are the Joneses Anyway? I just love that title. Stop living someone else's life and start becoming who you are meant to be. Susan co-authored this book, her first, with her husband, Bob Karcher, who is a writer, speaker, and certified coach. They're First book um, has already reached number one new release status on Amazon and is a 2016 International Book Award winner. Her topic today is going to be redefining success. I'm so excited to have her on the show. Welcome to the show, Suzanne. Thank you, Janice. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I know we have a lot to talk about today, and again, I'm very intrigued by the title of your book, Who Are the Joneses Anyway? Can you start with telling our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure, yes. Um, well, yes, I am married to Bob Karcher, who co-authored this book, and it. Um, when we tell people that, it's they're just like, wow, you did this together? <laughs> so that's kind of fun. We are a blended family, and we have two boys and two girls, um, a beautiful daughter-in-law, and we have a son in Germany, excuse me, a son-in-law in Germany that serves in the United States Air Force. So we, we have a, a great family. We love our kids. They're all adults now and grown and doing their own things in life, but it's fun that we get to be a part of it. Um, I've had an extensive career in the sales and marketing, um, from the fashion industry to publishing to real estate, and most recently um, an author. So we're real excited about, about that journey that we're now traveling. Um, and um, just... Just excited to see what God does next, and we're not sure what that's going to be, but we're so, you know, just thrilled to be seeing what comes next for us. So thank you again for having, you know, for having me on the show. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. And in my research, I was, again, very intrigued by how you came up with the title, Who Are the Joneses Anyway? Can you tell that story? <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's actually, well, now it's funny, but I'm going to be honest with you, it wasn't funny then. (laughs) Um, You know, Bob and I started out, um, you know, like most of your listeners, just uh, ordinary, hardworking people, you know, just discovered one day that we were trapped in this race that we didn't realize we were really in. I mean, we were just seeking success in all the wrong places. We were building, acquiring, achieving, and doing, and then the great, recession hit like it hit most of us and after 25 years of uh, Bob being in in the publishing industry he was laid off and I was in real estate and the housing market you know had the big bubble burst on us and we found ourselves with just a loss of income but that didn't stop us I mean even though our world was shaking and we had lost 50% of our income we were still living the way we had always lived we didn't bother to cut our lifestyle down at all because for Bob, his identity was in his title, and it was really hard for him to let go of that. And for me, I just wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be loved. So we just kept going, even though the cash was you know, drying up and the bills were mounting and stress was happening. And it was in one of those heated moments when you're just you know, standing toe-to-toe, probably yelling at the top of our lungs like, what are we doing? You know, I mean, we're arguing about finances because that's what – you know, most married couples do argue about. And then we just, at one moment, I just said, what are we doing here? I mean, who are we trying to keep up with? Who are the Joneses anyways? And why are they setting these rules that we think we have to follow? And that's kind of what we like to call our Joneses moment when you realize God is better than stuff. And when we began to share this with people, they began to share their Joneses journey with us and that they were going through some of the same struggles, just on different levels. And once they started to share this, 
that with us, we began to realize, wow, what? We're not alone in this? We're not the only ones going through this crazy time right now? We didn't know what to do. We just knew that we had to make some changes. We didn't know how. We just knew we had to think differently and live differently. And that started us on the journey to say, you know, what are we going to do with this? And, you know, God just, he spoke to us for two years. He kept telling us, you need to do this. You need to share a simple message about being content with who you are, not with what you have, but with who you are and being amazing in yourself and the life that I gave you. Well, we weren't quite on the same page. It was, you know, we had to understand, of course, that it's always God time, God's timing and not ours. And mm-hmm. so once we finally were on board with that and we seek counsel and we prayed about it and everything, we began to write. And up came our book, Who Are the Joneses Anyway? <laughs> that's, that's a wonderful title. And I think a lot of us going through that um, recession in 2008 kind of came to a, a realization <sighs> like, what are we doing? What do we yes. need? Which brings me to a question because I, I really I loved the acronym that you used, NEED. Can you <laughs> explain that? I wrote it down, but I, I just loved it because I think it, it goes through a great process for all of us and, and purchasing things and what do we need that for? Yes, there is a huge difference between our needs and our wants. And um, sometimes we don't always know the difference there. We have to, you know... Um, think to ourselves, okay, do I really need this or do I just want this? So um, we came up with it because we constantly are out doing and buying and, you know, things. And then we thought, okay, what does need about? So we came up with the acronym, which N is for necessity. Is it something that I really, really need? Is it going to help enhance my life? Is it something um, that's going to move me forward in life? So you have to think about the necessity. Um, E is explore. Explore all your options. Is this really the main thing I need, or can I get something else that's less or not as big or not as, you know, shiny anymore? Um, Can I do with the next best instead of having to have the, you know, the most wow of all? Because that's sometimes what we went after. We went after the latest, greatest, biggest, you know, you name it, we had to have it. So we have to explore our options to see if there's something else that can, you know, take its place and still be okay. And the other E is enhance. Will it enhance my experience at all? Will it change, you know, my family? Is it something that we need for our family, something that we need for ourselves? Um, And once you make that decision, D is easy. It's decision. Live with the decision that you make and don't second guess it. You made the decision. Live with it. Love it. Enjoy it. Because that's what we do sometimes. We have what we call buyer's remorse, right? Mm-hmm. Where we think, did I really need to do that? Is that something I needed to do? And then you begin to, um, you know, look at the difference between your needs and your wants. I mean, there's sometimes Bob and I will, you know, look at something and we'll look at each other and say, do we really need that or is it something that we just want? I mean, you you don't really get cured of this right away. I mean, we still do that every so often where we'll buy it. And we'll say, we have to have it. We'll sit it on the counter at home. We'll look at it, start giggling and say, we didn't need this, did we? And we take it back. So we're still learning what need really means. But we're getting better. <laughs> no, I, I love that. And how how has your experience as a couple enriched the lives of um, your immediate family, for example, or even your friends? Because a lot of us go through these things. That's why I was so interested to speak with you. Well, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's a, you know, for us putting down all of this in a book, you're putting your life out there for everybody to read, for people to judge sometimes. And you think, wow, should I have done this? Should I have put this out there? And um, you will have some in our family, some friends that will say, oh, my gosh, I'm so there with you. I totally understand it. I get it. Let's talk about it. It encourages um, stories and it encourages tears at times and it cur- mm-hmm. encourages realization sometimes um, when you finally get to the moment that you need to just let it all go. But then there are the other side of the coin as well where people say, nope, that's not me. I'm not a Jones. I don't want to have this conversation. I don't even want to read the book. And you have to give them the space to understand that we're not all at the same place at the same time and that's okay. And and sometimes we think that 
well, you would know by reading the book, that Joneses, uh, keeping up with the Joneses isn't always necessarily about the materialism. Sometimes we chase different things that we're missing in our lives, which is, you know, whether it's acceptance or love or or needing to be acknowledged. Um, whatever it is, we look for something that we might be missing and we keep chasing it until we find it. And for me, that was really difficult for me because I... I did want to be needed and loved. I had to learn on my own that I'm made perfect in God's image and he loves me just the way I am. And I forever couldn't figure that out. I kept looking for more and more. So for me, I had to realize that God loves me just the way I am. So it wasn't just about things. Yes. It was about acceptance. Exactly. Because what I wanted, money couldn't buy. You can't buy love and acceptance. That's something you find or, or, or trust is something that you earn. It's, it's you know, just the elements of life that can't be bought. So, yeah, we had a little bit of both. I mean, we, we do have people that will push back and say, no, I don't want to read that. And some people that will say, I love it. I love it. In fact, we just had a lady last week that um, uh, emailed us and said, you know what, I read your book. I love it. I was having struggles with my mom in our life, and I realized I need to fix that. I need to make some changes in my life, and I do need to think differently. And I'm going to, you know, take that. I'm going to be the butterfly with my mom, and I'm going to try to make things better with us. So that's the exciting thing about this book, that we just hope that it encourages people to do whatever they need to do to be content with who they are, just the way they are. So, yeah. Right. And not not everybody's going to go along that uh, path with you. No, um, no they're I've, not. I've learned that as well. Right. You just have to, to kind of take one step forward and um, not worry about those other people who aren't along with you. Right. You're right. You're right. Exactly. Now with with your with your children who are adults now. You you said you had two boys and two girls. How mm-hmm. has this process between you and Bob affected them? Well, being a blended family, we in the beginning faced a lot of um challenges like most blended families do. You're trying to take, you know, two different elements here and trying to put them together. Um and it was something that we had to travel on together. I don't think that they ever thought we were the Joneses. They never thought anything was different. So Mm -hmm. it didn't really affect them like it affected us. Um, For them, it was just being a part of, it was just a part of our life. We had, um, I don't know how to explain it. I guess we had more challenges to face than just the Joneses blending a family together. And... um, It'll always in my life, I've always said because of you know the family that I come from, it's extremely dysfunctional. But I learned that once family, always family. And we had to keep that in mind that we are all one big family and we're going to get through this together. And we did, and it really came to a, um, you know, there was a time, as you read in the book, where um, Bob came upon a, a, an experience where he was just at the end of his rope and he just let it let everything go not realizing that his fuse was very short and that all these things were piling up on him and it happened at the time where he, me and him and the boys had gone out to a, a football game and just one thing it it was really silly but it needed to happen because when it happened he just kind of blew the fuse and all the kids went scattering. It was our family that was standing in the middle of the house where Bob is standing there and we have, you know, our son running that way and our daughter going that way and the other one running up the stairs. I'm standing there going, oh my gosh, what just happened? And then our older son just stands up and says, you can't, you can't do that. You can't get mad at us for the things that, you know, that, that happen. But it, mm-hmm. it wasn't so much that. It was just that Bob needed to realize that he needed to do something different. It was a turning point in his life to say, this is my family. If I don't do something and change something in my life, I'm going to lose them. I can't lose the most important things to me because I can't seem to, you know, figure out where I need to be in life. And that's when we kind of knew we needed to do some changing. And so at times I think our our family was affected by it, just in the sense Mm -hmm. that they had to live through it. 
but I don't think they knew that we were actually acquiring and getting and giving and things like that. So I think they were affected in a different way. Does that make sense? No, it, it makes yeah. perfect sense. Uh-huh. Perfect sense. And and you mentioned, um, I always try to ask our guests a little bit about who inspired you growing up, and you just mentioned kind of coming from a dysfunctional family, and I'm not sure about Bob, but um, this is more about you. But who would you say um, inspired you to do, I mean, you do a lot now, and now I was reading that you're a real estate agent at this at this point, too, mm-hmm. along with being mm-hmm. an author, speaker, mother. Um, who inspired you most growing up? Well, you know, for me, it's a, it's a few people because you take a little bit of the the best to become better, and mm-hmm. that's where I was. So I, I'd say I, I strength I got from my mom because no matter what adversities or challenges that we face, she always showed up. She always made sure that she did what she needed to do to take care of us. And I and I um, and at times and in our culture, um, in the Hawaiian culture, they hanai when you can't take care of someone, you give them to another family member. And for me, I was mm-hmm. given to my aunt, my auntie Bonnie, and she taught me so much. She taught me stability. She taught me stay in college, don't give up, keep going. You, you can do this. And she gave me the um, the she just helped me to believe in myself. No matter what I did or who I was, I was I was amazing. I just couldn't see it. And she always stood by me, just pushing me and saying, you can do this, you can do this. So I'd have to say it's my mom and my, um, my Auntie Bonnie. And my Your family. I mean, I had a, yeah, my Auntie Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a great foundation that you have. What would you say... Um, they like was the turning point with with when you finally decided that hey I am worth it I can get through this I can get through school was there an aha moment for you there actually was I was um, working for LA Unified School District in the Head Start program and I had um, done sign language and work with the deaf and so. That I was teaching their Head Start program, and I had some of the kindergartners and the first graders, and that's who I taught. And I realized that they live in a world of silence. They can't hear the ocean that I got to go to all the time because I live near the beach. They couldn't hear music, and I loved music. They couldn't hear a conversation. They just couldn't hear the, the best things in life, and I felt like, wow, they live in a world of silence, but yet their hearts are so open and their love is so overflowing. And that's when I had to tell myself, you know what? You just need to get over yourself because this is not about you. This, there's something more in life. And um, oh, one of my favorite songs is The Greatest Love of All, where they talk about mm-hmm. you can't take away your dignity. You can't take away your pride. Loving yourself is probably one of the hardest things we'll ever have to do in life. But once you get it, there's nothing better then realizing you are okay just the way you are. And that was my aha moment. I had to get over myself, basically. (laughs) (laughs) I I think we all do at some point or another. And I also love that greatest love of all that has a great message. Yes. Now, if I were to ask you what one thing your children would say that you tried to instill in them, what comes to mind? I would say respect. Respect for who you are, and and respect is something that people just don't give. It is something that you earn. It is something that you actually demand. I deserve to be respected. I deserve to you know to just be treated mm-hmm. like I am a good person because I am. And if you respect yourself, other people will respect you, and you will learn to respect other people. It's a, you know it goes. What you give out is what you get back. Let oh, I'm a firm. Yes, I be, I believe in that. That is for sure. What goes around comes around. That's always been. That was my mom's kind of saying, and I've kept that yes. with me and my children as well. Absolutely, I agree with your mom. <laughs> yeah. So deserving of respect. That's that's huge. Now, it, in your career, you've done um, a lot of different things, um, and I wouldn't say that you took the the safe route. But what what was kind of the you've talked about your turning moment, um, and what you're doing now? What do you like most about what you're doing right now? 
Um, I love the fact that um, in real estate right now, I love the fact that I get to help families. Will I ever be rich at real estate? Probably not, Janice. But if I can help one family at a time, the family that calls me and says, thank you, thank you so much, it's our first home, that to me is joy. Or somebody Mm -hmm. that says, you know what, I'm 93 years old, I lost my wife, I don't know what to do with this big house, I don't have anybody to talk to. And then you help them sell it and you... And you say, you know what, why don't you go to, you know, this um, facility over here where you can play checkers with everybody and you can have three meals and you have friends. And I go visit this gentleman, 93 years old, and he's playing checkers and he's sitting around with all kinds of vets that they can get to share war stories with. That's where I find the joy in the real estate side of it. And as far as the book, I love the fact that I can help one person at a time as well. Because some of the struggles we face, we don't always know what to do. And we never mm-hmm. have the answers. But God always does. And we have to find that, you know, you have to find that place where you can have quiet time and say, what do you want me to do? And, and, and where should I be going? And what does my journey look like? Because he already has the blueprint. He's got it all planned out. We just need to ask him. And so when people say, well, you know, how can I help or what can I do? I always say that. You've got to find you first, the things that are non-negotiable to you. What are the things that are important to you? And what do you want to do with those things? Because it's not just enough to say, okay, yeah, well, I want to do this. You have to get out there and do something about it. Make the changes that you need to you know, to make and, and think, what am I going to do with what has been given to me? And how will I make my life count? And a big thing that Bob and I always talk about is legacy. What will your legacy look like? Because legacy doesn't begin when you die. It begins when you live. So what do you want to be remembered for and known for while you're here? What will you teach your children? What will you, you know, what will they remember you for? What will you stand for? Who will you be? You know, it's it's about, yeah, what will you be next, you know? Legacy is huge, and it can go one way or the other. It can go, you can leave a, a, a negative legacy, but of course we all want to leave a positive legacy. And I love that you put finding you first and then helping others. Those are two things that I think are huge in our lives and what we need to pass on to our children. Because once you're yeah. happy with you, and this whole message from from what you've said, Susan, is that you found you and then also helping others through your book. I love that. Yes, that that is a struggle. We don't always find the best of us in ourselves, and we have to stop and find that. Right, that's right. Now, would you advise young women today to per- pursue their passions first? Because things are different now with the millennials, and that's what I have in my life, are uh, three three children who are millennials. And it's a little bit different for them. So what would you advise young young women these days? Well, you're, you're absolutely right, Janice. It's different than when we had to figure out what we wanted to do in life because things are, are very different for our children, and they face different struggles. They still, believe it or not, face the Joneses in their lives as well. You know, what, do I have the right phone? Do I Did I pick the right career? Um, am I eating right? Am I skinny enough? Am I... They have so many more pressures in a different way than we did. And um, I think, again, it begins with who you are. You have to figure out who you are and why you're here, and your passion will follow that. And that. And so when you say, do you follow your passion, I say, yes, you follow your passion, but first you've got to figure out what that is. And, and, right. and sometimes, right, we have a hard time finding that, but if you find your true core and what really makes you tick and what makes you happy and how you can actually, you know, somebody looks at you and say, you know what, I want what they have. I want, I want that. I want that joy. Well, what is it? They've got their self-confidence. They know their self-value. They know their worth. They know that their, their self doesn't come from things that they own or the car that they drive or the title that they have. It's so much more than that. It comes from, their, from within, from you know, their integrity, their honesty, their humility, um, how they give, how they love. That's the core of who we are. And once you figure that out, your passion follows and it flows and it'll come. 
Well, I, I very much appreciate your message here today. And um, I think with uh, our children and raising children, and I have one last question because it, it, it interests me, because I know you and Bob are God-centered. How has that affected your, your children before? And I know it's a blended family, but um, can you briefly talk about that? Yeah, um, God has been a center of, of all of our, of our lives because before we got married, the kids were in Christian schools. In, in fact, in the same school, we didn't even know it. <laughs> but God has always been a part of their life and a part of ours, and we always tell them in everything that we write to them, everything that we say to them, um, the advice that we give to them, even when it's a tough time, we always say, you've got to put God first. And we even have this small thing when they were little where we it's an example of if you put everything else first, God doesn't fit. If you put God first, then everything else will fit in there. And we've always gone with that. We've always taught them that. And God has always been the center of our home through the good and through the bad. Because it always works itself out. Not by anything that we do, but by what God does. And they know that. I love that. I love that. Um, Now, Susan, this has been such an inspirational message. How can our listeners get uh, in touch with you? Well, um, we have a website where you can actually go see the book trailer. It kind of gives you an idea of the book and, and how to contact us and start having conversations and um, dialogues and dig deeper in how we can actually um, you know, connect with each other. And so if you want to go directly to authors at whoarethejonesesanyway.com, you'll be able to contact us directly and, again, have the dialogue and meet up or whatever we need to do because we love that. Um, or you can go to our website where you can have more resources and see some of the blogs. And we also have um, a discussion guide coming out with the book, um, which will be uh, a lot of fun for you know Bible studies or book groups to get together and actually talk about this because it can get pretty deep. Um, and then we also have a sample chapter in case somebody says, well, let me test the waters on this and I want to read a little bit. And they can download the first chapter for free and see if they like it. And they can go to our website at whoarethejonesesanyway.com. So there. Well, this, is, this has been a – that's perfect. And, again, it's a catchy title, Who Are the Joneses Anyway? And I'm hoping that our listeners will get in touch with you and with Bob. I enjoy seeing your videos on Facebook. You should keep that up. You, you both are so engaging. And it's Thank been you. such a pleasure to have you on the show today, Susan. Thank you, Janice, for your time. I really, really appreciate it, and many blessings to you. Many blessings to you, too. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be right back, listeners, after this short break. Welcome to the Tell Janice Radio Show, where you will hear inspiring stories about life, love, and labor from amazing women to help lift you up. Now, here's your host, Janice. Thanks very much, and welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're listening, and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot from our guest today. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you that if you know of a fabulous female that you would like me to give a shout-out to with a few words of encouragement, acknowledgement, or congratulations, please let me know their names by clicking on the link at telljanice.com. My next guest is Joanne Duggan of Plan C Strategies. She's an emotional intelligence expert out of Lexington, Massachusetts, and Joanne is in the business of helping people help themselves to achieve authentic success and outrageous happiness. Her topic today is a second part of a three-part series by Joanne about fear and worry. Today, she will be briefly reviewing the first part, which was a few weeks ago, and then Today is How Do You Change Worry? Welcome to the show, Joanne. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's it's my pleasure, and I'm very anxious to get on to the second part of this three-part series. Can you start with uh, telling our listeners a little bit about yourself for those that missed the first two that you've been on? Yes. Um, I have, uh, I'm a psychotherapist by training. I have uh, an, a master's degree in counseling psychology. I've been in private practice since 1988. Um, I was put on the planet to do what it is that I do. Um, I, uh, 
I, I, I feel very lucky in the fact that it was always very clear to me what it was that I was supposed to do. And, um, and so my life has been committed to helping myself and helping other people get in touch with who they are and, uh, and achieve um, authentic happiness and outrageous success, as you said. I come from a very dysfunctional family, so that's where I started, and, uh, and now I'm middle-aged. And I bring answers, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And you're known as the middle-aged answer woman. I love that. <laughs> yes, I, well, I am self-named. Um, yes, I, uh, when I first started my practice in 1988, I didn't. The branding wasn't a thing, but um, but I became known as the PMS lady because my area of expertise that I talked to people about happened to have been premenstrual syndrome because it was something that I had been through and I had successfully treated my, you know, gotten you know the treatment that was required and I had a ton of information. So um, so that was what I was talking about. And uh, in any case, so people used to call me up and go, hello, are you the PMS lady? And I would say, yes. <laughs> so uh, in any case, I stopped being the PMS lady a long time ago. But, um, but a, you know, a year ago or so, it was like, well, what would I call me now? What do I want people to say when they call me? And so I thought the middle-aged answer woman, because I saw a wonderful skit on uh, Saturday Night Live many years ago, the early 90s, about the middle-aged answer man, and it always stuck with me. And I thought, well, I'm a woman, but, um, but I, do, I, don't ha- I don't tell people what to do. What I do have answers to is what, how to handle what's going on. So, um, so I have lots of answers about how to handle whatever it is that's going on that you know, people get upset about, people worry about, make people afraid. And uh, so, yes, I've decided that I want people to call me up and say, are you the middle-aged answer woman? (laughs) And I'll say, yes, I am. And I'll be very happy to engage and, uh, again, help people figure out how to handle life. Well, you definitely have a great message. But let's go back here because I've talked to you a couple times before, and you've never mentioned that you were once known as the PMS lady. Can you briefly talk about that real quick? I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, okay, very quick story. All right, so um, uh, I was in an age when it wasn't cool to be very, I was very tall and very thin. At 11, I was five foot nine and I weighed 70 pounds. I did not have an eating disorder. I, my father was 6'5 and made, 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 weighed maybe 175. My mother was six feet and weighed 145. So I come from tall, skinny people. In any case, I was 11 years old. Uh, my father found out about a doctor in Boston. Boston. This was in the 1960s, and she was helping tall girls not become freakishly tall. And so they thought in the 1960s that that was a really cool idea. And so I went and saw Dr. Gertrude Rose, uh, uh, Ryers back in Boston. I was living in New York City, but my parents brought me up to Boston, and she predicted that I would be 5'11 to 6'3. So I was 11 years old. I was five foot nine and 70 pounds. Wow. It all sounded like a really good plan. In any case, fast <laughs> forward. What it did was she put me on massive hormones, and so <gasps> I was taking massive amounts of estrogen and progesterone to bring on my menstrual cycles so that I would have a shorter period of time to grow. That was the the methodology, the the thinking behind this. So I started my periods very, very painfully, and I did that for a number of years. Um, I did not grow. I'm now, uh, uh, well, actually, I'm starting to shrink now, but my full height was 5'9". I I did become a normal weight. I'm still tall and thin, but I'm a normal (laughs) weight. In any case, never had an eating disorder. I'm very lucky. Um, In any case, um, so so once I stopped those hormones when I was about 16, I started at 12. I stopped at about 15 or 16, and I just had the worst menstrual problems that I've ever heard of. Um, I've never known anyone to have a bigger problem, and it took me fast forward 17 years to find what was really wrong and to treat it. But uh, I was completely controlled. My life was completely controlled by my periods until I was in my late 20s. And when I finally came out of it, that was when I was able to go to graduate school, which is what I'd always wanted to do, to become a therapist, 
which is what I did. And then when mm-hmm. I opened up my practice, I was now three or four years into being no longer controlled by my PMS and realized, you know, how helpful, in order to, to get therapy, which is what I started to do, um, you really need to have your menstrual cycle under control because all the therapy that I did wasn't going to change anything because I was just so hormonally um, crazed. So in any right. case, so yeah, so um, so that's how it started. But it was, you know, all of it has come from my originally from my own life experiences and mm-hmm. from generally speaking the pretty horrible stuff. You know, um, right. <laughs> and and uh, and and now at this stage of my life, um, while uh, I don't have really really horrible stuff in my life, the the stuff that concerns me, I understand that it's that I can learn from it and that I can handle it. So um, I'm very grateful for that. Right, which brings us to the next segment about fear and worry. Did you want to briefly go over what we spoke about? On the last one regarding, I think I asked you, what is the difference between worry and fear? That was one of the first yeah. things I asked. You want to start with that, yeah. and then we'll go on yeah. to what you want to talk about today. Excellent. Wonderful. Um, let's, let me just back up just a teeny bit, okay, and, and, and lead into what is fear and what is worry. We are – the thing that people – gets so wrapped up in is what do I do when I'm upset and people are constantly getting upset in our world and people call it stress people call it all kinds of different things now what we are given are solutions in order to not be stressed out the problem is like Meditate, exercise, eat well, drink lots of water. I mean, you know, we're all saying, you know, anyone is saying the same things. This is nothing new. I I feel like I'm in a chorus of people and we're all chanting the same stuff. What I see in people is they don't do it and then they feel even worse about the fact that they're not doing what they should do to make themselves feel better when they're feeling really badly. So I believe that if people understand the source and the very beginning of what's happening that leads us to feel so stressed out, to spend so much time worrying, that then they can begin to unravel the pieces that allow us to actually do what is beneficial, like eat well, exercise, so forth and so on, and handle our stress better. The first piece of this is understanding fear and worry. The fear happens. We cannot stop it. There are things in life that are unbelievably scary. It's unbelievably scary. It's always been the truth. And our brains, literally, are programmed to keep us alive and to be on the lookout for the scary things in life so that we don't die. This happens throughout the brain. It happens unconsciously, and it creates all kinds of responses and reactions, chemical, neural, auditory, and so forth. So that's fear. So, and it comes up all the time because, again, your brain is always operating. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk. So, so you can't stop it. Now let's talk about worry. What worry is is the natural outcome from fear. So once your brain registers that there's something scary out there, it starts sending all these chemicals through your body, messages here and there about What do you have to do in order to stay alive? And then, as it moves through your body, then the thoughts come up. And thoughts are worry thoughts, naturally. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? Could this happen? Could that happen? Could the whole thing fall apart? Okay? Mm -hmm. That 
we can control. That we can stop. We cannot stop fear. We can stop worry. And it is worry that is what kills people because they feel for they feel as if if they're not worrying they're not being responsible. So they have to worry. And worry has been proven to cause all kinds of negative responses inside the body. It is not healthy to worry. And again, they're negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. So that was what we talked about last time. There's fear, which is going to happen, and then there's worry. What we also talked about, which is the one last point, and then we can move on to, okay, so what do you do when you know? Now I get that what fear is and I get what worry is, okay? The thing is that for most of the history of humankind, what we have needed to do is literally stay alive. In our culture, because most of us have housing and shelter and food, we then, our, 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 our survival needs are taken care of, but we still have this brain that's looking for things to, that might kill us because we're mm-hmm. programmed that way. It's, again, it's the primal brain, the limbic system, the amygdala in particular. So fear happens now, the more comfortable you are, the more you're still going to have to worry, but the more you worry about things that, in fact, aren't, the worry isn't going to help at all. Joanne, what are some of the um, symptoms from so much worry, like from stress? Uh, you know, um, uh, let's see. Oh, I made a promised to myself I wasn't going to say you know, but I just said it. I probably have said it before that. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's stress. Worry is stress. Right. If you think about it, again, you have these responses. You're going along in your life. You're driving your car. Somebody cuts you off. Your brain goes, oh, my God, because, again, there's a potential for death there because it could be a car accident. So there's the survival piece. The thing is, though, that there was no accident and you are left with still these chemicals coursing through your body to keep you alive. And, and it subsides. The, the, the knowledge that you are not in an accident subsides, but the body is still in this mode of, you know, what's going on, what's going on, what can I do to, you know, to make myself okay. What you then do is you get angry because, again, oh my, look at that jerk. He was driving, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So now you are angry. If you think about it, that's stress. You exactly. come home at night from work and the family is upset and the kids are fighting and they don't want to do their homework and you're stressed out and your partner is stressed out and the bills need to be paid and the laundry and everything else and people, what do people do? They start yelling. That's mm-hmm. stress. They start crying. That is stress. Not that there aren't other reasons to, but I'm talking about, again, at work. Again, it's all stress. So worry are the negative thoughts that come up from fear that are completely under your control. They do nothing but make you feel badly about yourself. It's a negative internal conversation. And what can we do to stop that internal conversation that's so negative? Okay. That's what we're going to talk about. And there's a few steps. Today we're going to take the first step. The first step is noticing when the fear shows up what the worried thoughts are. Noticing that connection note and separating them is the first and most important thing that people can do. Because you cannot change anything 
until you can recognize within yourself when you are in this loop that is not beneficial for anybody. So it's it's like cut off after you feel the fear and you start to feel worried. You mentioned breathing in and breathing out and cutting um, it off. Well, uh, uh, let me shift that a little bit. It's you're going sure. along in your life, and uh, and the next thing you know, you're angry about something. Stop. Oh, what am I ang- What angry thoughts am I having? And then you articulate those to yourself. And then you say, "All right, well, I'm obviously I was afraid of something." What was that? What just happened that made me afraid? Okay, what was the fear there? Because, again, something happens, and it could be inside yourself. It could be that you're sitting there and you're thinking about an unpleasant situation or something that you're anticipating being unpleasant in the future. So it's observing the self and understanding and looking at the fear happening, mm-hmm. what's that? And then the worry, which again is the negative internal conversation. What are you saying to yourself? I don't know about right. you, but, you know, for how, okay, so here's a few things. One thing, really important for the women listeners, the thing that women do, and I think we might have spoken about this before, Janice, because I really, it's one of my things that I so want to get out to people. Women constantly say i'm sorry i'm sorry right they they walk past uh, to uh, to me i mean it's not like they're just doing it to you know uh, you know uh, i bumped into a woman the other day i bumped into her i was not paying attention she apologized i looked at her i said no it was you know i bumped into you <laughs> what i offered to people is say excuse me but again this apology piece i'm sorry so one of the things that we do is we put ourselves down. So back to how much do we apologize to other people Just when excuse me would in fact be more beneficial and the truth. Mm-hmm. The other piece also is do you ever speak as negatively to yourself as you would to anybody else? And most people oh, would say no. Key. I, I'm, I, I would never speak to anybody the way I speak to myself. How many times do you drop something and go, you know, darn it, you mm-hmm. idiot. You bump yourself. Wow. Oh, you I did you it should, again, I, right? I Right. I think you should repeat that. That was really, I've never really looked at it that way. Can you repeat that to our listeners? <laughs> okay, let me try. Uh, the part about that we would never, we never would speak to other people the way that we speak to ourselves. Again, the internal negative conversation. It all comes under the heading of worry. Mm-hmm. You're not good enough. You don't have enough. Again, it's about the past. It's about the future. And it's about what are you going to do about it? What should you have done? What could you have done? I know one of my things is I write emails or letters in my head to people that I feel like if I could just say one more thing to them, what would I say? And I just do that. Well, I have come to realize that it is a complete waste of time because, A, I don't do it, so that's a life experience. I don't do it. And why would I think and spend so much time writing these notes in my head that I don't send? And yet, inside my head, I have these whole entire conversations. So what do I do? I notice when it shows up, oh, there I go, I'm thinking about that again. Was there something that was just going on that made me feel afraid, that distracted me, that made me go there again? If there is, okay, if there isn't. Mm -hmm. And that's when I lead into what you said. You stop and you breathe in and you breathe out. Because the only way, it's why people say calm down when, you know, it's what you hyperventilate when you get upset. A panic attack is the you know one of the ultimate uh, forms of 
of, of not breathing. Right. So, and again, and what do people say? Breathe, breathe. Women giving birth. What do you do? You breathe to get that baby out. So, and what should we do is we should meditate. What is meditate? Meditating is calming down. What, how do you calm down? You just sit there and you breathe. Well, I want to encourage people. It's great to meditate. The thing is, though, you're breathing all of the time. So when you notice that fear comes up or you especially notice that you are speaking to yourself, the internal conversation is negative and you are speaking to other to yourself the way you would never speak to anyone. You stop and you go, "Hmm. That's interesting. There I go and you breathe in and you breathe out and people want to know well then what then what then what do i do you Mm -hmm. do it again because we are all to one degree or another absolute masters at feeling fear and then worrying about it and going off on a negative internal conversation we're masters at it Mm -hmm. so when people say, you know, well, I try that all the time. You know, I keep trying. What I say is, wait a minute, slow it down. A baby is not born and then all of a sudden gets up and walks. They lie there for a while. We are not fast developers. It's not in human nature. It takes time. That's another thing that I yeah. say to people. Be patient with your impatience. <laughs> <laughs> That that's another good thing. So you said stop the internal conversation and stop just the ne- stop. observe, observe, observe the neg- notice it mm-hmm. when it happens. Notice the internal negative conversation when it happens, and breathe in and breathe out. Look at is there anything going on that made me feel afraid? And really say to yourself, look at what I'm worried about. Is it something in the past? Is it something in the future? What's going on here? There's also a piece around looking at what your feelings are, what your mm-hmm. thoughts are. Those are those two pieces. Then what you believe is going to happen. People worry a lot about what's going to happen. And if you're worrying about what's going to happen, it means that you are looking into the future negatively. Well, you have no, none of us have any idea what's going to happen. None of us. And what I say is, well, what are you doing now about creating, to the best of your ability, a positive future? Are you eating healthfully? Are you sleeping? Mm -hmm. Are you living within your financial means? Well, it's really about controlling, you know, our, our, um, our future and being intentional about it and setting goals and, and so we can stop the, the uh, negative thoughts and, and the worry about the future. And I've, I've started to tell my children, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I think my mom used to say that too. What's, the, what's really the worst that can happen? And 99.9% of the time, the worst doesn't happen. So we're really oh, just... Oh, Absolutely. It, it's a lesson absolutely. in oh, no. and, and, and Absolutely. And again, and we are so, our children even more so than we, and we even more so than our parents. Um, but th- th- we are being fed nonstop fear-based information. Everything is out there to make us feel not good enough or make us feel afraid that, things are, that we are not safe. Mm-hmm. The not good enough is you're not thin enough. You're not rich enough. You don't have an, whatever that piece is, okay? And then we're not. The world is not safe, and the world is not safe, and you are not safe. And the reality is, in many ways, the world has always been unsafe. No different. This is just now. How dare we be so egocentric to think that now is that much different? It's not. And um, and the essence of are we not good enough, the answer is, yeah, we are. We're plenty good enough. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, so again, but we are fed constantly. Social media. I I have a 19 year old tr- girl. I'm so glad she's 19 already. I didn't have to deal with the cell phone and the internet in elementary school. I don't know. You know, I was just reading the other day. Ten is the age. So again, so we worry negatively about the future. And what I encourage people to do is learn how to see it, observe it, stop it. And then what we'll talk about next time is, and then what do you actually do? How do you, what do you replace worry with? Because that's the thing that most people run up against the most that stops them. Because, again, I, of course I have to worry. You know, mm-hmm. my parents are aging. I've got a mortgage. I've got three kids I have to put through college. And what I'm saying is, no, you, that's what's happening in your life. Worrying about it is what you're doing. And I guarantee you, worrying is not going to get you where you want to go. Worrying is inaction, pretending to be action. I like that. No, worrying is inaction. And you said see it, observe it, and stop it. And then next time, what will what will you be focusing on about um, fear and worry? What we'll be talking about is as if people practice and focus on seeing the worry, seeing the fear, separating the two out, understanding that worry is negative internal thought and that they can control that. They can't stop the fear. The brain is all primed. Can't stop it. Um, that then what will come next is what do you actually do instead of worrying? If you stop it and see it over the next few days, then you'll be ready to actually make a change, which is replacing the worry with positive behaviors, positive thoughts. And how do you do that so that you're maintaining a realistic approach to what is happening in your life? Because, again... you do have aging parents, and you do have three children that you have to put through college. Mm-hmm. So the, all of those um, realities are not going to go away. It's just how we deal with them. So what do we That's do right. instead? We'll talk about that next time. And this has been really helpful to me personally, and I'm, I'm certain to our listeners. How can they get in touch with you, Joanne? My, I am writing my book right now, and so my website has my phone number on it, and that is the best way to get to me. People can also find me on LinkedIn if they're interested in uh, looking at what it is that I've done professionally. But my website is www.joanneduggan.com or www.themiddleagedwoman.com. Again, the middle-aged woman, A-G-E-D, aged. Uh, woman um, and uh, and my cell phone number, which is the best way to get me, is six one seven five eight four seven zero zero one six one seven five eight four seven zero zero one. People can text me, and in terms of special offers, if people want to call me and they say that they've listened here, I'm happy to have a half hour conversation with them about fear and worry. I would be delighted to help people um, understand that, again, fear happens. It's part of what life is all about, and we're just getting bombarded with fear-based messages constantly. But the worry, we do that to ourselves, and we can stop that. If I can stop worrying, anyone can stop worrying. And my clients are no longer worrying. They are handling what is happening extremely well. Yeah, this has been so enlightening, and I'm sure our listeners have felt the same. And I want to reiterate, it's www.joanneduggan, and it's spelled J-O-A-N-N-E-D-O-U-G-A-N.com. And that's how they can get in touch with you. And I'd invite our listeners to. This has been very helpful. Thank you so much for being on the show once again, Joanne. Well, thank you, Janice, so much for being such a terrific interviewer and allowing 
women an opportunity to come and share in ways that are, I know, helping other people. So thank you so much for the opportunity, and thank you so much for what you're doing. It's been my pleasure. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ladies, I am so happy that you tuned in today and learned from our amazing, fantastic female guests, and I hope you recognize this as an opportunity to pass their knowledge on to your daughters and friends and share the wisdom of the ages. I'll talk to you again soon, and in the meantime, let's lift each other up, spread the love, and share an attitude of gratitude. You've been listening to the Tell Janice Radio Show. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest a guest for the show, or if you would like to nominate a fabulous female for a shout-out by Janice on the live show, please visit www.telljanice.com. Please share this episode with your social network and help us lift women up. Join us next week for another episode of Tell Janice. How do you help business owners think differently about their businesses? Well, uh, you know, I think that there's a range of business owners, right? So, and I provide a couple of different services. On the, on the coaching and consulting side of my business, I think that's what I truly do is, is I help to educate. I think that's the key word, educate business owners on both their opportunities as well as I open their eyes up to what they need to commit to. Uh, certainly when it comes to a personal brand uh, and certainly when it comes to their own business, if, if it's a smaller business, right? So, right. you know, I, I educate them on their opportunities. I help them to uncover and really visibly see, you know, who their target audience is online, what their online behaviors are, how to engage them in an authentic way, which is not a piece of cake. You know, it's not like what I'm talking about, steps one, two, and three. It actually does take time, effort, and uh, it takes listening. And that's really what social media was born on, which was data mining. So for business owners, um, and that's why I'm launching on my on my back end of my site um, starting in October, I'm launching from October through about, let's say, January, February, six different courses, all kind of crash courses, all very much for smaller business owners or, you know, business owners that have small businesses that are growing. So that's, you know, I think a small business owner versus someone that is either a mid-market decision maker or I've worked with enterprise level C-levels um, and their education is much, much different. You know, they've been in the game right. for a while. They're probably not seeing results and um, it's really about helping them to identify, you know, like, for example, I've worked with many manufacturing companies who've been doing business in a great way for a really long time in an old school kind of what I call like boys network of selling, but haven't used the web. So they need to think in a different way, um, but still leverage their own business processes. Can you share a little bit about yourself to our guest? Sure. So once upon a time, I was a physical therapist, and I had a few bright ideas. So before I knew it, I became an entrepreneur. And over the course of time, I had three fabulous companies, and each one of them grew exponentially. So for example, one of them was an infomercial company that sold hair products for uh, African Americans and Hispanics. And within the first six months, we sold $12 million worth of product. So as you can imagine, that's kind of astronomical growth. And what I learned was that a person who's a physical therapist without any business experience really can get into a lot of trouble. So as good as those companies were, I literally almost grew broke three times. So I had to learn something about business at that point. So that was my beginning. And then for the last 15 years, I've been guiding uh, companies in growing and succeeding and working with their people, their strategy, their execution, and their cash management. So that's who I am. Well, that's, that's terrific. Um, your logo says scaling for growth is um, a big five for life enterprise. Can you tell more about the big five? Sure. So a few years ago, when the economy was really down, I met a fellow by the name of John Strelecki, who is an author of a 
several books. One of them is The Why Cafe, and another one is The Big Five for Life. And it's really all about knowing your purpose for existing, your own purpose, your business's purpose. And then what are the five things that you want to uh, experience or do in your life so that at the end of your life you could say your life was a success? And that doesn't just mean money. It could be anything that you aspire to doing. And companies that instill the big five into their, with their employees really attract the right people and they retain them as well because the company then acknowledges their employees as people and find out what, you know, what interests them and what their big five would be so that they could support them. So we're a big five for life enterprise now. John has been very popular in the Netherlands and Germany. In fact, his book is one of his books, The Big Five for Life, has been on the bestseller list for 116 weeks. And wow. uh, another one of his books, uh, The Y Cafe, is also number one. So there's Big Five for Life coaches all over the world, but not in North America.